with us as exciting as it might be for me to preach from the book of Nehemiah this morning. Well, when I look at the book of Nehemiah and the story of Nehemiah, the overriding thing for me is that it's a great story of great, a great faith project. It's a great faith project. God had called His people to something great. They rebuilt what was broken. They persevered through difficult things to do that. And God used the process of their perseverance to instruct them, to teach them, to encourage them, and to liberate them into their future. So, for me, as I read Nehemiah, and I've reminded myself for the last week or so, it's learning to see things from God's perspective. It's learning to view things from how He sees things, not being trapped in your own perspective and what you see. Basically, it's a story about learning to live by faith and to walk by faith. And we've said over and over again that this new season that God is taking us into, this new thing that we've been talking about, anticipating, is overwhelmingly a sense of being led by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit and learning to walk by faith. Every day. Now, you might say, well, that's for me leading the church or the team that is leading the church with us. No, no, no. It's the challenge for every single one of us in our lives to walk by faith day by day. It's a challenge for the church community, not just for us. We're standing on this side of the pulpit. It's for everybody. Amen. That's an exciting thing. God has called us to something great. I want to say that over this church. God has called us to something great. Just as Nehemiah was rebuilding the Jerusalem for Jesus to come back, so we too are rebuilding the heavenly Jerusalem for Jesus to come. It's a great adventure. What an amazing privilege to have an adventure with God. No? Okay. Well, I'm out of holiday mode now. I'm into preaching mode, all right? So I'm going to. And you know what Nehemiah had to do? In order for that to come, he had to confront the most powerful empire that the ancient world had ever seen. He had to confront the fullness of the Persian Empire and the books written around 450 BC which, uh, uh, during that time period. And during that time period, Persia had reached the pinnacle of its influence and its power. It was like the superpower of the day. And to do what God is calling to do, he has to engage that superpower, take it on, and trust God that God can break through on behalf of this remnant of people who have been in exile, who have lost basically everything. It is a great, great story of faith. And by the time, the time we're talking about, the Persians under Cyrus the Great had basically defeated the Babylonians. They had absorbed all the lands that the Babylonians had. And this little tribe of Judah was part of that empire. And so what happens is that uh, in around uh, 539, the next year, Cyrus allows the people of Judah to go home and to rebuild the walls of, uh, of the temple of the Lord. And several waves of returning Jews continue to resettle, resettle in Judea. And Nehemiah is granted permission to rebuild Jerusalem's walls around 445 BC. So that's the context. And so this great adventure starts for him. And it is a great adventure. And he returns to Jerusalem and he gets permission to inspect the walls. And if you know the story already by chapter 2 of the story, there's already signs of opposition. Already signs of opposition to the wall being built. And from chapter 3 to chapter 7, the wall is built despite these difficulties. And I love the, the, the sense of everybody contributing to the building. And there's a portion that talks about the perfume makers 
next to the, uh, the, um, the metalsmiths and all, all the people who have got these different skills, they build their little section of the wall. It doesn't matter who you are, what your gifts are, what you're good at, what you're not good at, you are called to help build what God is doing. Isn't that encouraging? You don't have to be something extraordinary. No, the perfume maker who only knew how to make perfume, what good is that to build a wall? can put it on you to help you smell good while you're building the wall. But you understand what I'm saying? Whatever your gift is, God wants to use it to help to bring His kingdom. What do you see? You see, we too are on a great adventure with God. It's part of His divine romance with us. As Nick said this morning, it's a divine romance that we have with Him. We are walking as a church on the unknown path that God is speaking to us about. We have taken some things from the old that we have been involved in and we have left some things behind and we are taking the good from the past and we are trying to move fully into the future that God has for us. And the last two years of this church have been one of lots of change and I rejoice in that. It's a beautiful thing. God is doing a new thing. Amen. All because God is speaking to us about engaging on an unknown path with Him. So what do you see? I want to ask you as an individual for your life, what do you see at the beginning of the school year? And as a church community, I want to ask you as a people, what do we see? What do we see? See, the Jews were living in exile in Persia under a foreign king. Oh, how do you say this? I never can pronounce it. Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. There you are. Thank you. Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. And you know, many of us as Christians, we choose a life of exile. We choose a life of religion that we know, and it's more comfortable, and we are happy to be exiles from the true destiny that God has for you and I. And the true destiny that God has for you and I is a great adventure of what is unknown. It's a romance with Him. We want to engage with Him. We want to love Him. And He's step by step, He's going to show us the way. And sometimes we are more comfortable just to stay in what is known and to live effectively in the exile, in exile from God's truly best promise for us. Don't you want to shake that off? Amen. Let's shake that off. The path that he has might be a little bit more dangerous. It might involve some rapids. We might know what's around next corner, but it's, it's a divine romance with him. It's a wonderful adventure, and what a privilege to be part of that. Whenever there's change, there can be inevitable insecurity. And you know that's been true for me over the last while as well. Why did I say that? Well, I've been on my own journey, my own theological journey. Uh, I've, I've held on to and embracing new things. Moving on from what I can bring, and we are all really, at the end of the day, secular and humanistic and Arminian in that sense. Well, what can we do for God? God, I've got all these gifts. I can, I can use these for you. Don't you know how good I am? <laughs> and coming back to something more of the sovereignty of who God is. The sovereignty of God over our lives. His grace is sufficient for us. And resting in that. And somehow, sometimes we have a period of time in our, in, and I am a person that can do things. And I think that's a good thing. We do need to have some people who are prepared to say, well, I can do some stuff. But we can't begin to depend on that, what we can do. We want the grace of God to lead us. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? 
So sometimes subtle expectations. Okay, help me to remove subtle expectation from people. And I don't necessarily intentionally want to put it on anyone, but we want to move away from those subtle expectations and trust God that over a period of time what truly motivates people Truly, truly, truly is not the expectation of any person but an overwhelming love in their hearts because they love the Christ of glory. And they want to serve Him just because they love Him. Not because I ask or anyone else asks or because it's an expectation upon you. Just simply, God, I love my wife. I want to be with her. I love you. I want to be with you on Sunday. It's easy for me. It's so easy. Because I love you and I want to be with you. Yeah? I mean, Jared and Becky got married this week. For heaven's sake, they want to be with each other. Do you think Jared is really battling about going on honeymoon to Kenya on a safari and say, oh God, I've got to do this, this woman. You're just giving me this woman. No, he's not. He's delighted. He's just like, oh God, I want to go. And that's what the scripture says. I was happy when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. No, oh God, Sunday. All those people and those problems. Oh God, deliver me. So hard. No. Neil sent me an email that greatly encouraged me this week. He said, I'm so looking forward to making noise on Sunday music with you. Wow, it's in his heart. He wants to worship. And I, I'm, I'm angry. I, don't, I hope I'm not angry. I hope I'm, I'm passionately encouraging you to love God with all of your heart. Now we've got to be inspired from the inside out, not from the outside in, from the inside out. That's why I've been saying, you want a red-hot marriage? You don't need to do a course of the 15 principles of how to love your wife. Those are sometimes good, but just love your wife. Say sorry. Often. Kiss passionately. Often. It's very hard to hold unforgiveness when someone's in your face. It's very hard. <laughs> true. When I, when I get like that, ask my boys. Helen comes up to me, she just goes, come on. Give, and I like, sometimes I fight. Go away. It's very hard to be angry when you are being kissed. It's true. We feel the kiss of God upon our lives. No, 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 no. It's for you, Tox. It's not for you, <laughs> So it's gone finished with me. No. But I'm certainly more further along the journey than I was this time year, this time last year. It's God finished with us. Beautiful thing. And we're engaging in all that God has for us. What do you see? And I guess what I'm just saying this, it's very simple. Unless we see by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit, we will never walk by faith. We will never walk by faith. We will simply walk by tradition. We will walk by what is known. We will walk by what we did last year that worked and change the things that didn't work. That's all we'll do. The best will be like someone just leading us. Now God wants to open our own eyes for what He has for our own lives and for the church community. Are you with me? Someone asked you, how do you see God? When you think of God, when you look at Him, what do you see? Because this is the simple power how you understand Him, what you believe Him to be, how you see Him, how you respond in a sense to what He tells you will determine everything about your life. It was true of Nehemiah. How he saw God 
enabled him to take courage in his heart and to do some things out of a conviction because he knew how God was good to him. And our understanding of God will determine how we worship, how we live, how we parent our kids, and when trouble comes against us, and ultimately all the... That's the truth. I believe this passionately, and I've said this before in the past history of this church, ultimately we become like that which we love most. We become like what we love. And ultimately God calls us to love what is lovely and pure and noble and all those things that Paul says in Philippians. But we don't come to love God by a sudden, swift, emotional rush of blood to our heads and suddenly, oh, we love God. No, no, by an act of our will, we decide to actually embrace some things that are true in His Word. And yes, as some, I believe this, that as, as we do that, our hearts begin to swell with this, this love for God and it grows and it grows and eventually it can be this overwhelming, just emotional sense. But we don't start with the emotional sense. Are you with me? I believe this. You can't make water flow back over the waterfall to its source. You've got to start at the source and then the water flows. Salvation starts and ends with the Lord. That's what we learned out of Joshua. Uh, not of Joshua, out of Jonah. And there's that impartation that as when we are born again, there's that amazing divine wonder the moment we are born again at the second birth. And that's why Paul is able to say in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, he says, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You become like that which you love. Have you ever wondered this? I love history and I watch a lot of history on the History Channel. Have you ever wonder, wondered what transformed a pink-cheeked young little boy into a man called Hitler? What transformed an innocent little boy into someone who was, became Hitler? Or Himmler? Or anyone else you want to choose? Nero? What transformed... What power transformed a pink-cheeked young cute little girl like we see running around here into a woman called Jezebel. What power did that? Simply this power. They became like that which they sought after with all of their hearts and they embraced with all of their hearts. That transformed them. They became like that which they loved most. I want to suggest some things that God has given to us that we need to embrace like Nehemiah did and to the intention of our heart to be fully put towards those things. The first thing is righteousness. Righteousness. What does Hebrews 1.9 say of Jesus? It says, He loved righteousness and hated wickedness and it was for this reason that God anointed him with the oil of joy above his companions. He loved righteousness. There's a simple truth here, my friends. Love to love passionately is also to hate. What I mean by that? The heart that is drawn into loving righteousness at the same time, is repulsed by evil. That's the only thing, guys, that's going to stop you clicking on the pornographic thing that you've, website that you might visit. That's the only thing. 
In that moment, do you love passionately the righteousness of Christ for your life with all of your heart, or do you choose what is opposite? Jesus is there with you. It's the only thing that's going to stop you. Not me telling you. Not someone making you feel bad. No, no, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in you because you love Jesus, you love righteousness. Is that all right? Wisdom. Second thing is wisdom. From the Greeks, we take, we take the word philosophy, which basically means to love wisdom. But you know the Hebrews before that, they had a different opinion of uh, a concept of wisdom. And you can read of the wisdom that the Hebrews held in books like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and to, to some degree, Psalm. And he, the Hebrew writers, they placed such an emphasis on wisdom so highly that sometimes you, ca- you can't tell the difference between wisdom that comes from God and God himself. They saw it the same. And so to the Hebrews, a wise man is someone who was a good man, a godly man, and the noblest, the purest, the highest form of wisdom was to love God and to keep his commands. That was seen to be the highest form of wisdom. And you could, they couldn't divorce the two. And thirdly, truth. Again, it's difficult to separate truth about God from truth of, of, of God himself. And Jesus said, what did Jesus say? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's no way to the Father except by me. By saying that instantly, Jesus joined love and truth inseparably in the Godhead. That was it. To love God is to love truth. To love truth is to love Jesus. To love truth with all my heart and with a growing passion is to grow more and more in the image of truth. And as I grow in the more and more of the image of truth, I, I move away from lies and error and I become more and more like who Jesus is. That's it. We are being transformed to be more and more like Jesus. And the Bible mentions other things that we could, we could uh, look at. Humility and all those things. And if the Spirit really does lead us, He will tell us, He will instruct us what to do with those things. And the sum of it all is that we become people whose lives are becoming more and more like Christ wants our lives to be and we're becoming more and more Christ-like. That's it, to love Jesus with all of our hearts. Are you with me? That's why Paul says in Philippians 4, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about, dwell on, meditate, give your heart's affection to these things. Why? Because you become like that which you love the most. So I want to ask you again, how do you see God? What do you see when you see God? I think that's how Nehemiah saw God. He saw God as a righteous, all-wise, the God of all truth, sovereign over all. He was, saw God as lovely in every way, able to do the impossible, the first to be obeyed, the only one worthy of his devotion and his full attention. That's how he saw God. And because he saw God like that and the radical word of God inside of himself, It transformed how he saw the world and it transformed what he saw God could do in the world. That's why he was able to do what he did. Are you still with me? How long have I been going? 20 minutes. Okay, I'll try and be another 10. And there are some similarities. The people that Nehemiah was addressing are not dissimilar from the people that live in the UK right now in the 21st century. Why? Because the people then were living in a time of discouragement. The glory of the temple was gone. Things had been better for them in the past. They didn't have what they had in the past. And when I look at the church in the UK as a whole, some things can be seen to be similar. Nick sent me this quote. It's easier to bask in the fading light of yesterday's heroes than to walk with God today. 
It's easier to believe that God has moved mightily than that He wants to move mightily again. Isn't that true? And so maybe the perceived glory of the church might not be the same as it once was. But at the same time, I'm convinced, and I'm saying the church global now, universal, but I'm also saying for this church that there's great cause for celebration when we look ahead to see what God is doing. And when we see with the eyes of faith, when we begin to live to walk by faith, the true church that Jesus is building is growing and becoming more lovely and unblemished every second of every day. I believe it with all my heart. That's what God is doing. And the story of Nehemiah is this amazing story where we see both objective truth and subjective experience being played out. And this is a balance that we have not always seen in Christian history. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, it's, it seems to experience has been elevated above the objective truth of God and His Word. In other words, if it works for me, it must be right. If the church works for me, I'll stay. If the preacher fits my mindset, I'll listen. Me, me, center of all things. Martin Lord Jones said this, if you've not been knocked down by the Word of God, then you've not encountered it at all. <laughs> if God's Word doesn't bring us to our knees, perhaps we're not encountering it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the church's identity vanishes when our understanding is that man lives at the center of the universe and that God exists to bless us. Rather, our understanding should be that God is at the center of the universe and in Him we find meaning, we find our definition, we find peace, we find joy, we find all good things. He is the master and we are the servants. And so Nehemiah's teaching to us is profound, it's healthy, and it's an antidote to that kind of subjective experience of Christianity. To many, what the believer feels is ever elevated more, far more than what God has said. So what I feel is much more important than what God has said. Some people want to preserve relationships with people and elevate those relationships above the truth of the Word of God. No, the Word of God is constant and sure and steadfast, yes to the day and to the ever. And if people don't agree with that, we don't preserve relationship. The Word comes first. And our relationships must change. And we must change and conform ourselves to the Word. Amen. Or else it's just individualism. It's secular humanism. It's liberalism. And we can't embrace that for our future. Our experiences can be elevated higher than the unshakable foundation of the revealed truth of the Word of God. And we cannot. Nehemiah reminds us of what our foundation should be. Still with me, guys? Nick said this this morning in his prayer, in his uh, prophetic uh, prayer for us. Nehemiah was a romantic. He was a romantic. He had a divine romance. And we don't want to become those that just understand theology in this kind of dry, academic, completely, absolutely in a box understanding of God and we've got all the things boxed and dotted and crossed and we understand God perfectly. It's impossible. But at the same time, we want to know the right things. But there must be a passionate zeal for God. There must be a, a romance with Him. That's what releases courage. Is love. That's what releases courage. And you know, you read the, verse, the, the first chapter of Nehemiah and he comes in and he sees the wall of Jerusalem. What does he do? 
Does he start immediately with a plan, a strategy of what he's going to do? What does it say? He says he falls on his face and he weeps for Jerusalem. Starts there, not here. Always starts here. He weeps. I want to ask you as a church, and I don't say this in a, in a condemning way, I want to say this to you as, as Christian believers. When is the last time that we cried for the church and we wept for the brokenness of the church, for God's people and for the nations of the world? When was the last time? When was it really in our hearts like that? And I don't say that to rebuke anyone. I'm pointing finger at myself. I'm just saying, guys, this year, let it start in the heart for every one of us. See, God is not simply rearranging our future. You know, it's not like we're just moving house. How many of you know when you move house, you take some of the same furniture with you and you rearrange your house to fit into the new thing? No, no, God is birthing something completely new. He's not just rearranging it. He's calling us out of into the new, into the future. He's calling us to cross over the Jordan. He's crossing, calling us to all fight with His Son. He's calling us all to labor in His field. That's what He's calling us to do. Are you with me? Uh, but sometimes we want to just not allow our mindsets to be smashed. We'd rather just comfortably live in exile and be tied to the earthly goals and th- that we have rather than being embracing this wonderful adventure that God has for us. I think I've said enough. I've got another two points. But I probably have said enough. I trust you'll go and read Nehemiah. I just realized now that I was going to read something out of Nehemiah and I haven't even read anything out of Nehemiah. But that's okay. You go and read Nehemiah this week. Let it encourage you and inspire you. Ask God to speak to you in terms of your own life. What do you see? How do you see him? There's much we could say about how Nehemiah saw God. He saw him as sovereign over all. He saw him as completely just. He saw him as holy, as righteous, all those things. Go and do a study yourself and see what God has for you in his word. Amen?